0: Our scripture reading today is taken from the book of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Again, that's John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. The word reads, On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the, water, f- fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out, and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had draw, drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, "Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first, this the first of his signs." Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, where his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Amen.
1: Our beloved, I don't know if you realize it or not, but I'm sure most of us do. that There are currently 11 official holidays on our calendar. That means that there is nearly one for each month of the year. Now, if you throw in birthdays and anniversaries and Super Bowls and vacations and special days like Mother's Day and, and, and Father's Day, when you think about it, it would seem like that we are people who are given over to celebrations as much as we possibly can and looking for any way possible that we may get away from work and to celebrate. We're always looking for a reason, aren't we? To kick off our shoes and enjoy ourselves. Well, you know, the nation of Israel was no, was no different in that sense. In fact, in the time of Jesus, you could probably make a case that is even more so. On the, on the Jewish calendar and Jewish life itself during the days of Jesus, the whole calendar and the whole life and the whole year evolved around feasts and festivals and Sabbaths and celebrations. The people of Israel at the time of Jesus were given to celebrating, and they were not shy about it. And all these celebrations that were on their calendars, I knew that was going to happen. I knew my glasses was going to break this morning. I knew it, I knew it as soon as I pulled them out of my pocket I said those glasses are going to break this morning I knew it <laughs> I knew it but we're going to manage now if my glasses break again Pastor Phillips is going to get up here and finish this message <laughs> alright so be on the lookout alright we're going to manage Now, these celebrations, these celebrations that the Jewish people had, right? You want to trade glasses with me, honey? Why don't we do that? There you go. Give me some glasses. Now, with these things my wife has, okay, I might be able to see the downtown Atlanta. Whoa! 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 (laughs) Well, praise God. They're a lot better than mine this morning. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Oh, that looks so much better. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) Amen. But we're talking about celebrations this morning, right? We're talking about the celebrations of the nation of Israel at the time of, of Jesus. And these celebrations, uh, in one way or another, what they did was point to God, right? They pointed to who God is. Is and the things that God had accomplished throughout the nation. There was was a celebration of Passover. There was the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There was the Feast of the First Fruits. There was the Feast of Pentecost. There was the Feast of Trumpets. There was the Feast of Tabernacles. And there was the Day of Atonement. And all of these feasts, each of these feasts and these holy days were spread throughout the year. They were spread throughout the year so as to always give the nation of Israel something to celebrate, something to look forward to. And yet, you could argue and you can make the case, however, that perhaps the grandest celebrations that happened in the nation of Israel were not official holy days or festivals, but were actually more local and, in fact, more personal. These were weddings. Weddings. As much as Israel would, would celebrate on these, on these feast days and in these holy days, you could argue that weddings were as big, if not bigger, affairs. They were lengthy affairs. And, they, and the celebrations of, of weddings often lasted as long as a week or More. And they were filled with anticipation and they were filled with excitement and and, and were filled with family and friends who would come from near and and far. These were festive times. These were times of festivity because they celebrated, they celebrated new beginnings. They celebrated new life. they were special times. And yet at the same time, beloved, they were common events. They were common events. Like in our day, weddings happened all the time. They happened all the time. And therefore, think about it. You would expect that Jesus, during his lifetime, would have attended many weddings, many weddings. For Jesus to attend a wedding would not have been out of the ordinary. And therefore, and therefore, understand that there would not be anything extraordinary about Jesus or anyone else attending a wedding. Except for this important point, beloved. On this one occasion, it is recorded for us in the scriptures. And if it is recorded for us in the scriptures, then we understand that Jesus attending this wedding is something out of the ordinary. For nothing, nothing recorded for us in the Bible about Jesus is ordinary. Like I said before, this is probably not the only wedding that Jesus attended. I'm pretty sure of that, beloved. But this is the one where the ordinary gave way to the extraordinary this is the one where the celebration gave way to revelation this is the one where the human story gave way to divine glory this is the one where jesus performed his first Miracle This is where he gave his first sign. The wedding of Cana, the wedding of Cana, John chapter two, if you might recall, is the last in a series of events, right? during the first week, during this first week of Jesus' public ministry. And the timeline is given for us. If you've been here going through John chapter 1, you notice that the timeline is given to us in John chapter 1, where it reads three times in John one twenty nine, John one thirty five, and John 1.43. Three times the Bible says, the next day. The next day. The next day. When we get... To the end of John chapter 1, three days after that last next day, Jesus, his mother, and his disciples are attending a wedding. At the end of the week of Jesus' first week of public ministry, he, his mother, and his disciples are in Cana, as they travel to Galilee to attend the wedding, no doubt, no doubt of some family member or definitely some close friend. Now, you might remember again that each of these events in John chapter 1 Each of the events that we have looked at leading up to the wedding was for the purpose of testifying to who Jesus is. Each one of those next days was so that others could give witness that Jesus was, that Jesus is the Lamb of God, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God. And each And in each of those events, in chapter 1, others had given faithful testimony to who Jesus is. Whether it's John the Baptist or Philip or Nathaniel or Andrew or others had given faithful witness to who Jesus is. But by the time we get to the end of the week... When we come to the wedding in Cana, now is time for Jesus to give testimony and witness to himself. Others have spoken plainly. This is the Christ. This is the Son of God. This is the Messiah. When we come to the wedding, it was time now for Jesus himself to testify that he is the Lord of glory. And to do this, he would perform a miracle. He would do to do this, he would give a sign, an unmistakable sign signifying I am the Lord of glory. I am the king of kings. I am the son of God. Now a sign, beloved, it's interesting that the Bible here refers to this miracle as a sign because a sign is a miracle with revelation significance. Okay? A sign is revelation. Revelation. It is more than just a momentary action. But it is disclosing something about God that was hidden before, but now through the miracle, is being revealed. That's what a sign is. It's revelation. Is revelation significance? And I would suggest to you this morning that it is not an accident, nor is it merely incidental that Jesus performed his first miracle or sign at a wedding. We are told in Mark chapter 1, in verse 15, that Jesus came to declare the revelation of the kingdom of God. Jesus came declaring the kingdom of God is at hand. The king has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Well, how does the Bible... Describe the kingdom of God. But in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, the Bible says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. And as Ron Cannoli would say, Don't you want to be a part of the kingdom? Don't you want to be a part of the kingdom? that's the kingdom of god few things don't miss this few things says joy like weddings and wine few things say joy like weddings and wine and that's why Jesus was present. So he could manifest the kingdom of God. And that's what we want to look at this morning. That's what we want to look at, right? We want to look at this wedding that Jesus attended where he manifests the kingdom of God. And we want to do that in four movements, four movements. We want to look at the presence of Jesus at this wedding. We want to look at the prayer of Mary at this wedding. We want to look at the purpose of the Messiah at this wedding. And then we want to see the power of Christ at this wedding. The presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus at this wedding. John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. What does it say? On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Again, again, it should not surprise us, beloved, that Jesus is at a wedding and his first miracle is performed there. Looking and understanding God's grand purposes from the beginning points us to this place. Marriage is a God thing. Jesus, present at this wedding, reminds us that marriage is God's thing. Mark chapter 10, verse 6 through 9. Jesus says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. From the very beginning of creation, this is God, and this is what God has ordained. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. And what therefore God Has joined together, let not man separate. Why? Because marriage is a God thing. Jesus attending this wedding is nothing more than confirmation of that eternal truth. Marriage is a God thing. But not only is marriage a God thing, if it's a God thing, then that means it's a good thing. That's what the Bible tells us, right, in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 22. He who finds a wife finds what? A good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Marriage is a God thing. Marriage is a good thing. Marriage... It's a glorious thing. It's a glorious thing. In Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Beloved, do you see that? From Genesis to Revelation, marriage is a good thing because it paints a glorious picture of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is likened unto the marriage between Jesus and the church. The joy of a wedding celebration is just a picture of the joy of the celebration of the kingdom of God. And this is the picture That is given to us from Genesis to Revelation. And Jesus at this wedding says a lot about who Jesus is. The bridegroom king. The one who has come for his bride. The one who has come to inaugurate the celebration of the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's what a wedding does. A wedding is the inauguration. It is the inauguration of new beginnings, of new love, of new life. And beloved Jesus is all these and more to his people. He is new life. He is new love. He is new beginnings. Here is the glorious presence of Jesus at this wedding. The bridegroom has come. and you notice the prayer of Mary. Unbeknownst to her, she is about to reveal who really is the bridegroom here. In verse 3 it says, When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine they have no wine now beloved mary seemed to have understood something of this because when the wine ran out mary called on jesus now she may not have understood the full implications of what was happening, okay? But if the wine runs out, you go see the groom. You go to the groom's family and you say, hey, we have run out of wine. Somebody needs to do something about this. Mary, again, unbeknownst to the fullness of what she was doing, Mary called on Jesus. Now, just as a side note this morning, just because Jesus was at the wedding doesn't mean that there's not going to be problems, okay? Just remember that, okay? even the presence of Jesus won't eliminate the difficulties. Even the presence of Jesus won't eliminate the tests and the trials. Jesus, be present at the wedding. Jesus can be present in the marriage. Doesn't mean That there won't be troubles doesn't mean that there won't be trials. The issues of life still occur. Even with Jesus on the boat, the storm still came. Even with Jesus at the wedding, the wine ran out. The music stop playing. And this, this, this was potential catastrophic effects on the family. Guests had come from far and near. Beloved, the celebration had just begun. And there was nothing more embarrassing, or nothing more joy-killing than running out of wine. The wedding would have been over before it even got started. No wine is a killjoy. That's what the rabbis used to say. Without wine, they said, there is no joy. wine, beloved, was a staple in the celebration of God's people. When God's people celebrated, the wine overflowed. Why? Because the Bible tells us in Psalm 104, 15, God gives wine to gladden the heart. It is is a symbol of his gladness. It is a symbol of his joy. It is a symbol of his rejoicing with his people. In Judges chapter 9 and verse 13, the Bible says that wine is good for God and men. In Genesis chapter 27 and verse 28, it was Isaac's blessing to Jacob. In Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 28, it, it was the blessing of the promised land. The promised land that flowed with milk and honey was also filled with wine. In fact, this is the invitation of the gospel that is given to us, right? In Isaiah chapter 55 and, and verse 1, where the Bible says that the invitation of the gospel is to come, 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 and buy wine without cost to yourself. Wine as a celebration, wine as a symbol of the blessings of God upon his people, as a symbol of the blessing of God's joy. And when the wine ran out, the blessing ran out. When the wine ran out, the joy ran out. And so when Mary looked to Jesus, she was distressed and her words said as much, Jesus, they have no wine. Jesus, the joy is gone. Beloved, it was a simple prayer. That's what it is, it's a prayer. You know Anytime you tell Jesus something. It's a prayer. And it was a simple prayer. And yet, the simplest ones are often the best ones, aren't they? Jesus, they have no eye. You don't always have to tell Jesus what to do. You just got to let him know you need him. Jesus, they have no wine. Jesus, I don't know what you're going to do, but I just got to tell you Jesus, I'm tired. Jesus, my strength is gone. Jesus, my faith is small. Beloved, I don't know what Mary expected Jesus to do. Did she expect him to do a miracle? I don't know. Did she expect him to run down to the corner store? I don't know. Maybe she expected him to fetch another barrel or to find another keg. I don't know. We are not told what our expectations were but we are assured where her confidence was her confidence was in Jesus if anybody could do something about it she knew who could Jesus and beloved I'm telling you I'm telling you I don't know if Jesus will do it I don't know if he will do it but I do know this he can do it He can do it, and that's why you tell him. That's why you tell him. I don't know if he will do it, but I know he can, and that's why you tell him. That's why you have a little talk with Jesus. That's why you tell him all about your troubles. That's why he'll hear your faintest cry. That's why he'll answer by and by. Mary said, Jesus I need to have a little talk with you. They have run out of wine. And Jesus looks at her and he says, Woman, what does that have to do with me? This points us to the purpose of the Messiah. Now, listen, beloved, this is what prayer does. Prayer gets us to the purposes of God. That's what prayer does. You see, that's the ultimate goal of prayer. Prayer is not to get what you want done, prayer is for the revelation of the purposes and plan of God in your life. That's what prayer does. It gets us to the purposes of God. Mary prayed. What she didn't realize was that the answer to her prayer was going to reveal the purposes of Jesus. Woman, what does this have to do with me? It says in verse 4, my hour has not yet come. Now, beloved, Jesus responded in this unusual and yet revealing way, right? Because this is what Mary's prayer did. It, it, it ultimately pointed, it pointed to the purpose of what God was doing, the purpose for Jesus at the wedding, the purpose for Jesus come into the world. She spoke to Jesus as her son. But his purpose was more than just her son. And this is what he reveals. Woman, he says, woman. Now, to our ears, that sounds like a kind of disrespectful word and tone, right? Woman. I wish I would have called my mother woman. If she had asked me to do something or told me to come or told me to go, And I looked at her and said, woman, promise you, promise you, promise you, I would not be here today. But that is not Jesus' intention. That is what we hear, but that is not what Mary heard. This was a term of endearment. A term of respect. This is how Jesus lovingly referred to her in John chapter 19 and verse 26 as he is on the cross, right? And he looks down and he sees John and he sees his mother Mary. And the Bible says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. was a sign, it was a word of it was a term of endearment, it was a, a term of respect. But it also, while being respectful, also signaled a change. Wow. A change, a change in how he was to be viewed. Before he was known to her as her son. Wow. But from now on, she must see him as Lord. In other words, he was not just her son, but now it was going to be revealed, more importantly, that he is the son of God. But the full revelation of these things was, was not this time. The full revelation of these things was not to be revealed yet. And so Jesus says, you're asking me, but I'm saying to you, my time has not yet come. I've got bigger purposes than this wedding party. What do you think? Do you think that I have been brought here, that I have come here to run errands for you? My life... My times belong to God the Father. They are not yours. You remember, you might have forgotten, but you remember when I was young and you lost track of me and you found me in the temple. What did I say to you then? That I must be about my father's business. The Lord of glory had not come simply to fill their wine glasses. Yeah. Or had he? Or had he? Beloved, listen. Jesus was not going to do something just because he could do it. He wasn't there as the entertainment. He wasn't there just to pull a rabbit out of a hat. His purposes were eternal. And according to his eternal purposes, His purposes was the glory of God, as is all purposes. Right in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. Everything, whatever we do, do for the glory of God. Here is Christ. Christ says anything that I do, I have to do for the glory of God. I didn't come here to turn or to to perform tricks for you. To be your entertainment. I came for the purposes of the glory of God. And so if Jesus was going to help his mother, and he had to understand, he had to make her understand that there were bigger purposes than even his mother knew. He was going to fill their glasses in ways they would have never thought could be filled. Jesus was going to reveal the purpose of the Messiah. Like the good shepherd in Psalm 23, he was going to fill their cups to overflowing. Why? Why? Because this is the power of Christ. This is the power of Christ. He answered Mary, but not for her sake. But for God's sake, he answered Mary for his glory alone. Even though he said, my time had not yet come, Even though he said, he asked the question, woman, what does this have to do with me? There must have been an expression on his face that let Mary know he's going to do it. She instructs the servants, do whatever he says to do. And Jesus did what he always does, right? And what does Jesus always do? Jesus always makes things better. That's what he does. That's what he does. Six pots. Six pots. Six clay pots they had at the wedding feast. Each of the pots had a capacity of 20 to 30 gallons, the Bible says. That's around 100 to 150 or so gallons of water. Clay pots filled with 100 to 150 gallons of water. And these were no ordinary pots, right? They were pots constructed for a purpose. They were constructed for the purpose of purification, the Bible says. Why? Because, beloved, they didn't have sanitizers like we do. They didn't have hand sanitizers at the door like we do. But they did expect everyone to sanitize their hands like we do. Yeah. See that in Mark chapter 7, right? And in, in verse 3. As the Bible remarks for us the importance of the purification and the washings in the Jewish tradition. And there would have been no official gatherings, no festive gatherings with not pots full of water for the purification, for the washing of hands, for the washing of feet, for the washing of faces. And the pots at this wedding feast contained water for cleansing. And therefore... The water that was there was good. It was good. It served a purpose. The purpose was to cleanse people's hands, to wash people's feet. It was there so they could get some sense of purification. The water was not useless, but Jesus had a greater purpose for those pots. Now, we are not told exactly when the miracle occurred, right? Did the water turn into wine while in the pot? Or did it turn into wine as they drew it out? All we know is that Jesus had done something that had never been done before. He took the pots, and rather than let them be holders of water, he made them containers of wine. Listen, beloved. Rather than a source of washing, he made them a source for dancing. Rather than weeping, he brought rejoicing. He exchanges ashes for beauty. And when the master of the ceremonies got a taste of it, he said, verse 10, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We We're running out of wine, weren't we? Didn't we run out of wine? Didn't I hear somebody say last call? How is it that we still have wine to serve? How is it that we don't just have wine? How is it that we still have the good stuff? Beloved, their wine had run out, but this was Jesus' wine. And like with everything, his wine is better. Their joy had run out. No problem. This is Jesus' joy, and his joy is better. Here's a statement. Here's a statement that Jesus is making. That the changing of water into wine, beloved, is not a parlor trick to get laughs or to get likes. It is a statement. It is a statement about the superiority of the kingdom of God. It was a statement That according to Isaiah chapter 43 and 19, where the Bible says that God promises to do a new thing, when Jesus turned the water into wine, Jesus was saying, I'm that thing. The new thing has come. Why? Because that's what he does. He takes the old and makes it new. St. Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He takes the old and makes it new. He takes the poor and makes it rich. St. Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you and I might become rich. He takes the old, makes it new. He takes the poor and makes them rich. He takes the good and he makes it better. He makes it better. Isn't that what the master of ceremony said in verse 10 of our text? Everyone serves the good wine first, but when people have drunk it freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. The wine they had was good. Jesus is better. The water in those pots were for a good purpose. Jesus comes, and he is better. The water of the law was fine. The wine of the gospel is better. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 3 tells us that Moses and the law was good, but Jesus is better. In Hebrews 12 and 24, the Bible says that the blood of the Old Testament spoke a good word, but the blood of Jesus is better. Everything is better with Jesus. Everything is better with Jesus. Why is everything better with Jesus? Because with Jesus, it doesn't run out. No danger. No danger in the new wine running out. Why? Because it has an everlasting source. Beloved, the wine in those pots wasn't coming from the pots. The wine in those pots was coming from Jesus. And as long as there is Jesus, there is wine. As long as there is Jesus, there is joy. That's the statement. Jesus promises to his people, Isaiah 62 and verse 7, everlasting joy. Everlasting joy. Everlasting joy. His joy he gives to you this morning, not as the world gives, but as a spring, everlasting, springing up to in your soul in eternal joy. His joy he gives to you. His joy he leaves with you. His joy is your joy. Because in his presence... Is the fullness of joy. Beloved, that wedding would have been full, full of joy. For as long as the wedding would go, the wine would flow. For as long as the bridegroom was there, the joy was never-ending. This is what Jesus does. This is who Jesus is. He is joy to the world. He is joy to the world. I know we sing it at Christmas time, but you do understand that Isaac Watts did not write a Christmas hymn. He was writing a hymn for the everyday realities of the Christian life. There is joy because joy has come in the world. There is joy because the bridegroom has come. There is joy because the king reigns in the kingdom. Rejoice, rejoice when Jesus reigns and saints their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks and hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. The marriage supper of the Lamb is coming. The bridegroom has come. His bride is making herself ready. Rejoice. Rejoice. Jesus reigns. Repeat that resounding joy. Amen, amen, and amen. Let's pray.